Also, a quick side note. I don't know why, but when you said it's possible, all I could think of was impossible from that Cinderella movie. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Impossible. <laughs> For plain yellow pumpkin to become a golden carriage. Yes. <laughs> what a great version of Cinderella. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this time we are discussing Chapter 9 of Royal Assassin, Guards and Bonds. Kind of sounds like the chapter about a bank heist. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's not, though. In case anyone was wondering <laughs> if they had forgotten the bank heist section of this book. Of Royal Assassin, yeah. <laughs> Where they get transported and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the beginning part of this chapter is Fitz talking about Fedrin's dream of having paper and books of all sorts of knowledge written down. So no knowledge is ever lost with the passing of that master and they can write it all down and the next person can learn and there's no search for those hidden tidbits yeah. that people have to learn. I think this is a really good way to highlight how good of a person Fedrin is. I don't know. Like, it's just really noble to pursue greater education for the masses for no other reason than to pass on something that regular people might think too common. Right. I don't know. And Fitz here is like, nah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, his, uh, his argument is that there are some things you can't learn from words. And I get both arguments. Yes, you're not going to be able to learn perfectly from the page of a book. Right. Not everybody learns the same way, first of all, but not everybody can learn, you know, what in Fitz's argument, how to visualize something from a piece of wood and then carve it out. You can learn the process of carving, but you can't learn the artistic part of that. Right. And he likens that learning... um, from someone else and not from pages to the wit and the skill. And you learn that from the blood of your forebears and not from a page. Right. Which is interesting because Chade learns from scrolls later. Right. From skill scrolls. Uh, and he does not learn from his blood of his <laughs> forebears because he was denied that. Right. So. No, I definitely, definitely think that it's an interesting way to think about things. I think that's probably how a lot of people back in olden times thought of it, right? Like, it's just a skill that you're innately born with, which to some extent, I agree, some people are born with skill that puts them above a regular person. But I think still having the knowledge available so that even the general work can get done once a grand master passes away um, is more valuable than I think fits can conceptualize without living through it yeah a little bit of a mixture of both is you know what our real world is right there are things that you can't learn from a book but the book combined with a mentor teaching you everything is mm-hmm. could go a long way and also yeah. i think broadens the horizon to people who have those innate skills that wouldn't have otherwise been able to know that they did it just feels like something that digs deeper at the opportunities that present themselves once you have 
the base level of knowledge that is throughout the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we pick up where we left off on last chapter with Fitz uh, being very pleased with himself and the outcome of going to Molly's room, Mm -hmm. uh, ending with their professing of love for one another and kissing. And he is agonizing over all the little scents that are left on his clothing. And, you know, he's, he smiles at himself. He says, looking back, I smile, but it is at my wisdom, not my folly or whether he should set his shirt carefully aside and keep that scent as long as possible (laughs) or wear it or whatever. This is big middle schooler energy and I'm here for it (laughs) it just it's like whenever you wear your boyfriend's hoodie or whatever you like get the their smell is on you and I don't know I think that's a pretty regular occurrence to most people out there first love and young love and stuff yeah you're just weirdly obsessed in random ways and I think it's cute that he points out that he wasn't embarrassed and he didn't think there was anything wrong thinking that way i mean he still kind of doesn't i just think it's cute and it's a good a good picture of young love and gives you the good feeling of oh i remember a time when i thought weird things like that were normal (laughs) (laughs) but i really i don't know i just really like it because i think it shows robin hobbs ability to write young characters believably uh they're not adults they have the moments of feelings that feel like they're so strong and i don't know i just really like it so fitz is uh trying to keep that in mind and and contemplating like the the setting of the castle right now how there's a storm coming on and maybe (laughs) let people kind of chill out from yesterday's uh, excitement yeah and mourning and how he still needs to keep Molly and Patience and Lacey safe. Yes. So all that's in mind before he left um, Molly's place. He had her make a promise that she would only eat food that she prepared herself or bring up food only that she prepared herself or saw prepared and all all these different things that a paranoid assassin would make his loved one promise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he knows that there are still probably people watching him so in the morning, when he knows that Molly is going to be walking to and from Patience's room, he doesn't linger in that hallway again. He's trying not to make it as obvious, even though that boundary has kind of already been crossed. Right. A little <laughs> too late there. But but also, um, I want to point out that when he warns Molly about the food, uh, she says that he sounds like Lacey now, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. And a little bit of foreshadowing for later in the chapter, but yeah, because we know Lacey's actually <laughs> awesome. Yes, but and also very capable. <laughs> I think it's funny that Fitz is giving the advice the fool gave him to Molly and expecting it to be a different outcome, and that's Fitz knowing the real danger that happens and can happen when somebody is poisoning others. And this is Molly, just a regular girl, like, yeah, okay, weirdo, I'll make sure all the food is fresh. So I like, I feel like he's being a little naive in how he's telling Molly to watch yeah. out for this. I mean, he's doing all he can, though, as right. well. Like, no, <laughs> I agree. There are limitations to what he can do, but I think it's kind of right. amusing that he's like, oh, if I just tell her this, it'll be okay. And Molly has 
a similar reaction to how he acted towards the fool. And I just found that kind of funny. But Fitz also recalls as he's going to Patience and Lacey's room, a little interaction (laughs) that he had with Molly the night before. Uh, And when she rebuked him and saying, like, you just sounded like you sound like Lacey. She was closing the door and said, go to bed. Blushing, she added, and dream of me. I hope I have plagued your dreams lately as much as you have mine. Those words sent me fleeing down to my room, and every time I thought of it, I blushed again. (laughs) Oh, young love. So cute. Young lust. (laughs) Drew, do you think she's been dreaming of him so much because of his skill dreams going out about her? I was kind of thinking about that. Maybe, but also Verity had the reaction of dreaming of molly as well because fitz was thinking about molly so much so i feel like it's just it could be influencing but also it feels like a separate dream that just might have right well i just wonder because picked up on the same feeling or something is the person and i feel like in a dreamlike world you would probably recognize yourself especially because she knows she was molly red skirts you know i don't know i just feel like there's a little bit more connection there whereas verity has no idea who this woman even is and yeah. if it's about you specifically, I could see how you could, like, your brain could interpret that as, like, oh, I was just dreaming from Fitz's point of view instead of mine, or, you know, yeah, dream logic. Definitely could be. I just, I don't know. Maybe it's because in my head I want to separate this world from Wheel of Time's world, and Wheel of Time has, like, a dream world, and they have shared uh. dreams and, like, things that are similar to this situation if oh. that dream was shared or influenced so mm-hmm. maybe i just want to keep it separate in my head but it definitely could be influenced i don't i don't know huh. well i guess since i haven't read that series i'm more likely to lean towards i feel like it was she was influenced but maybe not i mean she also has a huge crush on him and as a teen girl i am sure she thinks about him a lot <laughs> in my head canon i think it's she was dreaming of him but his dreams were so loud it influenced her to have stronger dreams hmm, like every night Sure. Kind of. But she was already dreaming of Fitz anyways right. because of feelings <laughs> and hormones. So Right. Interesting. Okay. But Fitz enters Patience's room, is led in by Lacey, and he is in his full chade training assassin mind here, mm-hmm. looking at dangers, avenues of escape or entry, mm-hmm. and is fully concerned with warning them and, and trying to figure out how to make this a social call, but warn them and prepare them as best as possible right without them knowing and patience is in a different kind of mood today right did you know she asked me suddenly that there is a substantial history of strong queens at buckkeep not just those born as farseers either many a farseer prince has married a woman whose name came to overshadow his in the telling of deeds do you think ketrakin will become such a queen i asked politely I had no idea where this conversation would lead. I do not know, she said softly. She stirred the coals idly again. I only know that I would not have been one. She sighed heavily, then lifted her eyes to say almost apologetically, I am having one of those mornings, Fitz, when all that fills my head is what might have been and what could have been. I should never have allowed him to abdicate. I'd wager he'd be alive today if he had not. It really, it, she goes into it later, um, but 
the events with Ketchikin yesterday really stirred these feelings up in her and brought a mirror to show what she would have been as a queen, and she does not like it. Right. Well, I am sure it's also spurred on by how similar of a leadership style Ketrikin has to chivalry. Yeah, we've already heard multiple comparisons. Mm -hmm. Verity compared them. Uh, Jade compared them. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's interesting how similar to Verity Patience is in this, where (laughs) she can only see her faults through looking at someone who is reaching their potential. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is really sad because Patience is a lovely person and has different strengths, just like Verity, different strengths. Um, but I guess when you're in a leadership position, especially of royalty, um, really all you can see is what you're lacking and right. what the people need, especially when a better ruler is standing in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> I did think it was interesting that she mentioned, I should never have allowed him to abdicate, which isn't a strong indicator either way but the context and the way it's phrased makes me think that it was his full decision to abdicate and she went along with it right which is just like an interesting little note yeah and it could be like survivor's guilt where you mm-hmm. think if i had just done this one thing different oh 100 which... it is because literally <laughs> she says the next line i'd wager he'd be alive today if he had not abdicated right. which i could have prevented <laughs> right yeah and i wonder if this is brought about because of how powerful Ketrickin was in that moment and mm-hmm. how she realized this is what we could have had this whole war right. had Verity not been king. <laughs> Just like kind of a horrible that I'm sure it wasn't negative Verity to- uh, thinking, but more just. Oh, no, I mean, she's thinking of her lost husband. Right. So. Yeah. Just how well chivalry would have done in this position and. I wonder, too, if she thinks, like, I think we talked about last time, uh, thinks about how it was a waste for chivalry to have married her and not someone like Ketrickin. And how she's, like, feeling that, especially because she talks about how she wouldn't have been a strong queen. Right. And she probably wouldn't have been remembered in history. And I don't know. There's a lot of side characters that also deal with their flaws in this in these series, mm-hmm. which I really, really enjoy reading and picking up on, on first read-throughs and subsequent read-throughs, because a lot of stories or series have characters, side characters that fulfill a plot point or are there for an emotional certain something, but they're not fully developed. Right. And in this world, you can really see all of these doubts and insecurities and a lot of the different characters coming through, which is more apparent in the last couple chapters here. Right, yeah. It's really fun to to see see these pop up. And I, I fully agree with your your thought there. Patience definitely has those issues as well, as does every single human. Right. So seeing that mirror just I don't know, it parallels, like you said, Verity's journey so well. I don't know, it's really nice. It's really interesting. It's a fun... Not fun, but... (laughs) It's an interesting As an outside viewer of a... Or, like, 
enjoyer of a book. Right. <laughs> Fan it's, of a book. It is fun. <laughs> it is fun to see the parallels and characters and see just the different paths that they take. Especially because I think the difference, main difference between Patience and Verity is that Patience kind of, I mean, not fully, but to the best of her ability, accepts her shortcomings and works through them and just finds ways that work for her. Whereas Verity just continues to lament on what he can't do. And he still does things that are helpful, but always under the guise of this would be better if chivalry was here or I need to be doing this in a way that is similar to how chivalry would instead of saying, well, can't do it chivalry's way. So I guess I'll figure out my own way. And I think that a lot of that comes down to one, how they were raised and two, how they were allowed to live. True. Uh, Patience was raised in a very forgiving household. It seemed because she, you know, threw away the traditional tutors and stuff and just kind of learned on her own and did what she wanted. And (laughs) she built up that her own interests and things to fall back on. And Verity was probably taught strictly, you're learning this, you have to do this, you have to act this way. Chivalry is the first one to go to. He's getting all the main stuff. And Patience was on her own and, and doing her own thing. And in adulthood, they've had different lives as well verity has had a lot of tasks and hasn't had time to himself to mature in that self-reflection there and patience has had one a husband who adored her from all accounts (laughs) yeah and two time after his death to reflect in her own life and keep herself occupied and and do those things especially when he was away as well on campaigns Right. And Verity has always surrounded himself with just duty. And <laughs> yeah, if he can't live up to that, when he saw a direct comparison who did it before him, mm-hmm. he's always going to make those parallels. It's it's a really interesting change of situation, too. Yeah. I don't know. I just It's just such beautiful writing. I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. So many layers. Patience continues and says, I am a woman of longings today, Fitz. While everyone else was stirred, to amazement at what Ketrickin did, it awakened in me the deepest discontent with myself. Had I been in her position, I would have hidden away in my chamber, just as I do now. But your grandmother would have would not have. Now there was a queen, like Ketrickin in some ways. Constance was a woman who spurred others to action, other women especially. When she was queen, over half our guard was female. Did you know that? Ask Hot about her sometime. I understand that Hod came with her when Constance came here to be Shrewd's queen. She liked me, Queen's Constance did. She smiled almost shyly. And we get a little story of how Queen Constance, even being the queen, would set aside time for patience as when she was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And they would work quietly in the garden because that's what Constance knew patience liked to do. Yeah. And this was before patience was betrothed to chivalry yeah they had only met like maybe once yeah she, so she didn't there. even really know him yep and she still took time out of her day well probably not every day but took time out of her busy schedule to make sure she was visiting with patients in a way that patients would enjoy um, and that really makes me sad for the death of queen constance in a way that i haven't been yet 
um, especially when we compare her to Desire, <laughs> which one can't help but do. Um, it's really sad to have lost someone who was that caring for every single person. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seems like. And progressive. In, yes. In real world terms. <laughs> yes. Also that. And that she was strong. I wonder. I mean, we know Shrewd wasn't married to her through love. Um, and he did marry Desire for love. I wonder if he was a little bit jealous of Constance and Constant was his Ketrickin. Maybe. It definitely could be. I don't know. I just think it, of- fe- <laughs> it feels like all of the arranged marriages in this series are way better than any of the four love marriages that we have. Right. Or the, at least the four love like yearnings <laughs> for in this uh, in this series. Because Constance was not out of love, probably chosen by King Bounty, Shrewd's father, right. and was an amazing queen. Desire was out of love, complete garbage. <laughs> <laughs> we got we got chivalry, who married for love, and patience is awesome and amazing. Wouldn't have been a great queen. No. Chivalry was amaz- would have, would have been an amazing king, but the pairing wasn't. You know, perfect for the leadership of the six duchies. Right. Verity, not a great queen, but his matched marriage, Ketrickin, uh-huh. amazing ruler. Also lifts <laughs> him up by... His choice would have been like a simpering noble, pretty much, who yeah. needed his comfort to raise his self-esteem. Mm-hmm. So, not right. that great. No. <laughs> Celerity would have been probably is shown to be an amazing leader later on in the like the civil war that they have yeah and that would have been a match for Fitz that shrewd wanted yep his choice molly wouldn't have been a great leader but no. is a good person like yeah i don't know no i think it's because when you marry for political gain you're looking more at somebody's like on paper abilities it's like a job yeah. interview whereas when it's for love it doesn't matter that together you might not rule the kingdom perfectly because you have the love to sustain you. But just like in real life, just because you have love, it doesn't mean that there's not problems. Whereas without love, it's just a partnership. And right. you can probably get over problems a lot easier because there's probably fewer of them if there's not love to taint whatever you have going on at the time. Yeah, definitely. Also in this conversation with... Patience and Fitz talking about Queen Constance, we get a little line um, that Constance died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. Well, not quite childbirth. She finished birthing her daughter, but they both died of a birth fever. And then Shrewd remarried a few years later. And so I just wanted to point this out to ask you a question. Do you think she was poisoned? I don't think so. No? Because I don't think uh, Desire was in the picture at that point. And remember, we, we hear that Desire is really debating about whether she even wants to accept King Shrewd's suit and become queen, or if she would have had more power staying duchess. Right. So I don't think it was like a play to become queen, because she didn't really know if she right. would have enough power. Well, I'm not saying that it was necessarily Desire, mm. but... Somebody else? Yeah. Some unknown? (laughs) Some unknown. I don't know. Maybe. 
I mean, it could. I mean, childbirth is a super risky thing, especially right. without modern medicine, and super easy for women to die in and of and around childbirth. Not necessarily the most wild thing to happen, but it just seems odd to me. That both she and the daughter died of a fever, and yeah, it's like this is the point of speculation for my brain at least Mm -hmm. where i'm like this is a slippery slope because we have an enemy in this whole series that is far-seeing they know what future they want and Mm -hmm. what decisions will reach to that point so it's a super slippery slope to say this could have been a white agent Mm -hmm. poisoning someone and killing like literally every death could then be attributed to them right so Yes, she could have been poisoned, <laughs> but I don't know. Well, this I, this book is just so butterfly effecty in yeah, my mind. Yeah. That, but I also just wondered, you know, because I mean, throughout this section that we're about to talk about, it seems as though Patience has had a lot of people trying to end her life, and that doesn't. I mean, I don't know what good that would do in any situation, except get to chivalry but maybe just being a royal is super dangerous yeah and in general people are always out for the crown so last episode we joked about all the nobles poisoning each other and maybe (laughs) maybe that's true (laughs) so i don't know that's the only reason i had that thought is just that it's such an an a weird like they died of a birth fever which i've never heard of granted haven't really looked into the subject because dying from childbirth <laughs> terrifies me. <laughs> so, so I've not looked into this, but I don't know. It just feels like something that you could easily replicate with poison. Yeah, probably. I mean, it seems in this world you can replicate pretty much everything with poison. So, but anyway, so just the thought that I was having. So Fitz calls, or excuse me, Patience calls over Fitz to sit next to her on the hearthstones and she has a conversation with him and is extremely serious about this topic and she doesn't want Fitz to think that she's mean-spirited or you know just being paranoid a gossip. or being a gossip or anything but she says I must warn you that your uncle Regal is not as well disposed towards you as you might believe I couldn't help it. I laughed. (laughs) (laughs) And she immediately became indignant. You must attend me. Oh, I know he is gay and charming and witty. I know what a flatterer he can be, and I have marked well how all the young women of the court flutter their fans at him, and how all the young men mimic his clothes and mannerisms. But underneath those fine feathers there is much ambition, and I'm afraid there is suspicion there, and jealousy also. And she goes on to say that he was completely opposed to Fitz's schooling and skill training. Right. And she says that sometimes I think it is well that you have failed at that. For had you succeeded, his jealousy would have known no bounds. Do we know, did Regal ever try to skill train? Or was he just so sickly as a child that he never got the chance and then it was, he was too old? I think that's what it was. Um, he was just sick as a child or something. I mean, it could be an excuse from his mother not wanting him to, right. but also... You'd think she'd her, want 
yeah her son was the <laughs> was the, the skill, skill master, master yeah. so yeah i would i would think that i don't know i think that he would have been trained if he was able to because he was a prince right i don't know i just think about that with his jealousy towards Fitz, because sometimes I forget that he probably is super jealous that Fitz even got a chance to do this and was somewhat good. Same as Chade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just really interesting. The jealousy. And interesting that he is so much more royal than his brothers, but can't skill. I don't know. Yeah. Seems like you're not that much more royal. <laughs> he does have the skill ability. He does. But he just is not trained and it's not super strong, I don't no. think. She continues on and is explaining this whole situation, how uh, how Fitz needs to be careful of him, and that these are unsettled times, and it's a time when any b- born as you are should be careful. Uh, there's those who smile fairly at you, but maybe your enemy. And she speaks on chivalry, and says that when chivalry was alive, we expected that his influence would protect you because attacking a living person of the families of the royal family's, you know, son or whatever would yeah. have terrible consequences. But after he was dot dot dot, he died, indicating that she knows that he was killed. Yeah. I realized that you that as you grew, you would be more and more at risk the closer you came to manhood. So, when I decently could, I forced myself to come back to court to see if there truly was need. I found there was, and I found you worthy of my help. So I vowed to do all I could to educate and protect you. She allowed herself a brief smile of satisfaction. This part makes me tear up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, she admits to protecting Fitz. Right. She came back solely for Fitz. Mm-hmm. She forced herself back, even though she hates it here. Mm-hmm. And and she's warning him now, like, right. be careful. And also, she gives chivalry more of a parent role in this by saying that he was part of, the, like, we both believed yeah. that you would not be hurt as long as he was alive. And that's probably a big reason why he abdicated Mm-hmm. And I think that gives him a little bit more humanity for Fitz. And I don't know. I just really like that we see more of the parenting side of both of them and not just patience of our our son or, well, <laughs> Chivalry's son is in danger and we need to help him the best way we can. And through this all with patience warning her or warning Fitz, excuse me. Fitz is pretty much moved to tears because he realizes that whole situation. He realizes that she hates it here. He realizes that the reason she came back, what he was wondering, was for him. Yurik had sheltered me. So had Shade and even Verity in his way. And of course, Shrewd had claimed me as his own very early. But all of them in one way or another had stood to gain by my survival. Even Burek would have seen it as a great loss of pride if someone had managed to murder me while I was under his protection. Only this woman, who by all rights should have abhorred me, 
had come to shelter me for my sake only. She was so often foolish and meddlesome and sometimes most annoying. (laughs) But as our eyes met, I knew she had breached the final wall I had kept between us. I greatly doubted that her presence had done anything to deter bad will towards me. If anything, her interest in me must have been a constant reminder to Regal of who had fathered me. But it was not the deed, but the intention that moved me. And he thanks her. Yeah. And she uh, looks aside from that. She realizes how big this is. Yeah. For Fitz. And I'm glad that there is someone in his life who loves him just because he is Fitz chivalry. There's no price to that. He doesn't have to prove anything to her. Mm -hmm. He just... He's just Tom. He's just (laughs) little Tomcat. Yeah. He's just her son. And it's really sad that all of the other figures in his life do kind of have that little bit to gain by keeping him, which I don't think is the only reason that they care about him. And I, I don't think that it's fair for Fitz to feel like that. But I do know that everybody else in his life kind of makes decisions for him and about him without usually consulting him. Yeah. Whereas patience will scold him when he messes up, but then tries to find a way to make that plan work. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. wants him to be happy. And I don't know. It's really cute. Fitz goes on to say that uh, the truth that I was here for was to warn you because you too might be seen as an obstacle and patience takes the uh, uh, self-effacing way out and says, Oh, you know, me, funny, dowdy, foolish old patience, you know, who can't keep an idea fixed in her head for more than 10 minutes, all but made mad by her husband's death. My boy, I know how they talk of me. No one perceives me as a threat to anyone. Why I am but another fool here at the court, a thing to be made sport of. I am quite safe. I assure you. But even if I were not, I have the habits of a lifetime to protect me. And Lacey. Lacey? I could not keep the incredulity from my voice or a grin from my face. I turned to exchange a wink with Lacey. Lacey glared at me as if affronted by my smile. Before I could even unfold from the hearth, Lacey sprang up from her rocking chair. A long needle, stripped of its eternal yarn, prodded my jugular vein while the other probed a certain space between my ribs. I very nearly wet myself. (laughs) (laughs) Patience goes on to say that, uh, well, scolds Lacey, like, stop teasing the child, but that Lacey was Hod's most apt pupil ever, even if uh, she came to Hod later in life. Yeah. And... You know, Lacey puts her knitting needle back in the yarn, doesn't even drop a <laughs> stitch, and then winks it. <laughs> fits. <laughs> and went back to her knitting. I remembered to start breathing again. <laughs> a very chastened assassin left their apartment some time later. As I made my way down the hall, I reflected that Jade had warned me I was underestimating Lacey. I wondered wryly if this was his idea of humor, or of teaching me greater respect for seemingly mild folk. (laughs) But it is really, really cool to find out that, you know, Lacey 
is this amazing deadly fighter. warrior yeah. yeah and she's the best student Hod has ever had and she came as an adult imagine what she would have been like if she came as a child yeah i don't know it's really cool and also she still keeps her feminine wiles about her and she uses that as a defense like just yeah, pretend as a cover you're, up of yeah, yeah. Pretend you're just a good knit, a good knitter. You just love knitting, and then you have weapons on you at all times. <laughs> oh, so cool. She's so cool. Speaking of patience's safety, it, it's definitely true. Even I think Regal overlooks patience in his yeah. plotting because he doesn't think that patience can amount to anything, and she surprises herself and steps up and right. organizes defenses for Buckkeep later on. See. What she becomes later makes me feel like she probably would have been a good queen, especially having Fitz around as See, someone to protect. I don't know. I think she she steps up to the plate when it's about other people's safety. Uh, maybe. But she would have had chivalry to fall back on true, if she was true. queen. And I think she would have still taken the back seat and the drastic environment forced her to step up. That's fair, actually. That without the security blanket, she can really step into her own. Mm -hmm. Because she saw that, like, in her own way, like, well, this is a mess. Nothing's getting done here. Someone has to do something. And Lacey's probably like, yeah, someone does. Hmm. (laughs) Maybe you, my lady. (laughs) No. But it also is interesting to me that she says she has a lifetime of practice being careful. Because from what? Well, it's, it's a lifetime of habits that she's built up. And I think it's more of her eccentric habits that protect her and she's thought about that in general or it has been mentioned to her she never really goes to eat publicly because she hasn't really liked chatting in public or talking or making small talk right she has a bunch of projects in her room it, there's a cluttered mess in her room all the time so anyone who enters in there will probably be heard knocking over multitudes of <laughs> books and plants and Stepping on the dog or whatever. <laughs> True. She has Lacey by her. So I I didn't feel like it was I have built these habits up on purpose to stop any potential assassins or, you know, would be harm doers or anything like that. Right. But it just kind of worked out in her favor with the habits that she prefers. Mm. Yeah, I and guess. It- when And like. Sorry for no, interrupting, okay. but um, and when she is becomes queen in waiting, they probably had advisors of like you should you know stay safe or chivalry was like hey stay safe and stuff yeah just what you're doing is great because it <laughs> doesn't allow anybody to poison you or whatever just you know right. be aware of these are the things that are helping you or whatever so it was probably pointed out to her but I feel like that her own habits and her own personality kind of protected her in that way and just. Right. By coincidence made her as safe as possible. Yeah. I don't know. I just... This isn't the first time she's brought up poisoning or to be careful and that there are real life dangers in the court, not just social dangers. So it makes me wonder what has happened in her past that makes her so aware. Chivalry was poisoned on their retirement farm. True. (laughs) <laughs> like you, literally her, I, the love know, of her but, life <laughs> but did this happen like i'm trying to was she aware that this was a thing that could happen before it happened mm-hmm. to him or is this something that afterwards she's like 
oh, wow, this is a real danger to Fitz. You know what I mean? It makes me wonder if she was privy to Shade or not. Like, the knowledge of that, if yeah. if Chivalry shared that, because he loved his uncle so much. <laughs> right. And I can't remember when Shade comes out of hiding if she remembers him or not. But if she does, then Chivalry could have told her about, of like, the King's Justice and all these, these mm-hmm. different kinds of things. Or if Chivalry was just, you know venting or you know talking about the work of the last campaign and like and this person fell ill and right it worked out in our favor or whatever a lot of times yeah so i, I yeah i don't know if she pieced it together or if she knew of shade's existence right i just wonder because she seems very disliked and like not a great choice for chivalry politically right and i'm sure chivalry was famous with the ladies because he seems to come from a good-looking family, so I assume he's pretty good-looking. <laughs> so I'm sure he'd had many fans. And so I wonder if, like, petty noble women even try to poison others. Even if it's not life-threatening poison, like just yeah. putting... I don't, Diuretics. Yeah. <laughs> in other people's food. But still, she talks about how hard it was in the castle. So I don't know. Maybe it was a little bit harder than we're led to believe. Could be, Definitely. If we had another book to read that was about (laughs) (laughs) about chivalry's time at court. All right. So as Fitz moves on from Patience's room, uh, he is going to locate Ketrikin. He has other people that he wants to warn. He wants to talk to after uh, his conversation with Chade last night. But he's quickly interrupted by Cub, by Night Eyes, saying that he's hungry and Fitz is ashamed that he didn't bring any food yesterday. And Mm -hmm. Cub's like, I can take care of myself, but, you know, food is welcome. Mm -hmm. But I like fresh food. And he promises to bring meat soon, which I thought this was a very interesting transition from last chapter with how adamant he was that he was not going to bond. And just the previous chapters in general of... I'm not bonding with you. We are not pack. And then Cub needs food. And he immediately is like, oh, I should have gone to see him. And I'll bring you food soon. Don't worry. I don't think it's that weird, honestly. Because like, he, he made that promise to himself to help Night Eyes heal and right. feed this wolf cub because he can't hunt for himself. And he's adamant like... I need to teach you to hunt before you can be off by yourself in the wild, which is all, of course, Fitz lying to himself that he's getting attached. But I thought that kind of like stuck with that same theme. I didn't think it was like a a weird change at all because it's it's still I need to take care of this cub, but also like feeling bad about not going to see him. Isn't that part of that self lying? And he Fitz thinks it's just but there's no get out of my head. There's no weird feeling that cub is in with uh, is sharing a mind presence with him and there's no mention of we are different or yeah. comment about how i will not bond and i think before this we've oh we've been seeing a lot of i'm not going to bond with you we are different stay out of my head this is my space that's yours we're you know that kind of attitude uh whereas this is just oh yeah you're right i'm sorry i forgot to feed you and not even thinking about the fact that he's in his head to tell him this or that he's re- doesn't need his help but would like it yeah i guess so it just like last chapter 
the whole conversation about we are we are not pack we are pack that is what a pack does mm-hmm. uh, just seemed a continuation of the same conversation over the course of a full day. So it didn't seem like every single conversation they had was Fitz saying, don't talk to me. It was like, if we need each other, we'll call upon each other, but we don't need to be in each other's heads all the time. Yeah, I guess he just makes such a distinct... There are other examples in my mind of him making distinct differences of, I'm just helping you until you get better. And this doesn't feel as much as a... Mm. I mean, it is still in the realm of helping him. Um, but it feels like an easy way to slippery slope his way into, I guess we're just bonded now. True. So he goes and looks for Ketrikin and cannot find her. Um, he goes to her chambers, finds two giggling pages who are uh, supposed to be cleaning up, <laughs> but they're probably just goofing around. And uh, they didn't know where she was. He went to Mistress Hasty's weaving room, but there was no Ketrikin or Lady Modesty there to tell Fitz where she went. Uh, well, Lady Modesty was oh, there. Oh, yeah, sorry. She was there, but she didn't know that, know where she went specifically, just that she said she needed to speak with Prince Verity. So he has a little bit of a lead, and he looks for Verity, can't find him anywhere in the castle at all. But his uh, serving man, Cherim, was there and said that he had risen early and went to the boat shed. So by this time, Fitz is hungry, goes down to the kitchens, listens to gossip, and hears two stable boys talking that uh, Ketrikin was down in the stables and asking after uh, her horse, seeing whether uh, the horse was fit to ride through to Buckkeep Town. Probably follow Verity. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So in listening to gossip for where Ketrikin might be, he notices that there's a change in atmosphere. They're not quite talking about what happened yesterday. Right. About how um, they had had the funeral rites, but there is an air of relief. Mm -hmm. Um, He likens it to when you've just cut off a limb that has been ailing you and it's you you finally look the worst square in the face and say i know you you have hurt me almost to death but still i live and i will go on living that was the feeling i got from the folk at the keep all had finally acknowledged the severity of our injuries from the red chips now there was a sense that we might begin to heal and to fight back and I think that's like a really important thing to note that there is still hope in the air. Oh, yeah, definitely. It just kind of shows the success of Ketrikin's mission. But it also kind of shows the fragility that people aren't still aren't really talking about it yet. So there's a danger of it receding to the back of people's mind or being able to be twisted in a sort of way if Regal really tried um, and it, it shows uh, the parallel and the influence of the leaders of the six duchies and what they have, what effect they have on their people. Right. Uh, because with that analogy that Fitz gives, it's somebody, you know, having a maimed limb or something mm-hmm. and saying, oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. We'll ignore it for now. Like, there's no direction for it. It's fine. And once in a while, 
something really bad happens to it and it like tinges you and you get mm-hmm. a shock again like oh it's it's there it's bothering me it's bad but then you can like ignore it but when it's finally uh amputated you get a relief of like okay that bother is gone we can mm-hmm. finally start healing things are still bad right but we can heal and overcome this yeah and that's what they got from the leadership, what the people got from the leadership was mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll ignore, you know, the six. There's no directive. We don't have like a set yeah. plan. And with Ketrakin appearing in front of everybody, it's like, OK, here, this is what we're doing. We're not going out joyously to hunt these creatures. These are actual people. So we'll cut this wound out and focus all of our anger on the red ships, the actual problem. Yeah. So they, the people finally got a direction from the leadership and it. It really shows, like, the influence that those leaders have on the minds of the people of Buckkeep. Yeah, and how even one day can greatly influence... Yeah. Any sort of actual leadership. (laughs) Right, if they had any before this. Yeah, so... Back to the stable boys talking about Ketrick. Yes. Uh, They... Talk about her in a way that's very reminiscent of Constance, what we at least just heard about her, and that she spoke directly to one of the stable boys mm-hmm. and even asked him how he lost his tooth. Because that's what she's used to doing. Right. Uh, yeah. The Mountain Kingdoms <laughs> is going around and talking to her people. Uh huh. And there's no, not a real difference in status that is shown by, you know, talking or not talking to someone, I think. And so they're all like little starstruck uh-huh. and celebrity. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it'd be pretty cool if a celebrity came up and like asked Took you questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk directly to you and ask about your personal life. I don't know. Um, they have a little scuffle there, and uh, Fitz heads down to the stables to try to track her, and talks to Hans. Um, Hans. Tells Fitz, after Fitz asks where Birik is, that Fixin has passed away. Yes. And Hans says that he's cutting wood for a funeral pyre. Uh, pyre. He's been drinking since dawn, too. This is Birik. Yeah, this is Birik. She died in the night, yet I have never heard of a pyre for a dog. He's out behind the exercise pen now. I turn toward the pen. Fitz, Hans warned me urgently. It will be all right, Hans. I know what she meant to him. The first night he had care of me, he put me in a stall beside her and told her to guard me. She had a pup beside her, nosy. Hans shook his head. He said he wanted to see no one, to send him no questions today, no one to talk to him. He's never given me an order like that. All right, I sighed. Hans looked disapproving. As old as she was, he should have expected it. She couldn't even hunt with him anymore. He should have replaced her a long time ago. I looked at Hans. For all of his caring for the beasts, for all of his gentleness and good instincts, he couldn't really know. Once I had been shocked to discover my wit sense as a separate sense, now to confront Hans' total lack of it was to discover his blindness. I just shook my head and dragged my mind back to my original errand. Hans, have you seen the Queen today? So do you think that Burek bonded to Vixen? Not really. I think Vixen bonded to Burek. Sure. And 
while Biric wouldn't acknowledge it as a bond, just naturally over the course of her whole life, those feelings are going to be reciprocated. You're going to share that like link mm-hmm. because he has a full-fledged wit ability. Right. So he would never purposely try to bond or anything like that. He is too stubborn in his own mind about his disposition towards the wit. So no, I don't think he purposefully bonded with Vixen, but I think over time it grew to the point where it severely impacted him when she passed away. Just like right now, if if Night Eyes and Fitz's bond never progressed past where it was right now, in 10 years if they were still next to each other, but it never passed beyond this, if Night Eyes died, I think Fitz would be in the same place that Beric is right now. Hmm. That's interesting, because... I feel like this goes deeper than that. Because, I mean, later, Fitz is sad about other animals dying, even animals that he's known, and other people's wit partners, but he's never, like, despondent for days about it. And we don't ever see anyone else that has the wit despondent for days over any animal but their own dying. And then... Also, Vixen has lasted longer than dogs normally should. So she's way older than she should be, which happens when you have a wit partner. The animals live longer because they become more human in some sense. I don't know. I just feel like maybe Burek called it something different to make himself feel better. But on some level, it was just a bond like any other. Could be. And maybe that's how he always knew when Fitz was bonding with him. I mean, I guess he can probably hear him, but he always knew, seemed to know, even if he wasn't around, what was going on because Vixen would tell him or something. You know, I don't know. It just feels like there's too many hints of Vixen being a little bit more than just a one-sided bond. Unless the reason she didn't live even longer is because it was only one-sided and even a one-sided bond can give them some sort of life span that's longer than normal. I don't know. I don't know how this magic works. <laughs> I right, just know yeah. that it does grant longer lives to the animals that choose to bond with their people. Hans never says that she was extraordinarily old. Just as old as she was, he should have expected her to pass away. Fitz makes a comment later. I'll point it out when it happens because okay. it's kind of a lot further than I thought. Um, but he makes a comment about how she lasted way longer than dogs of her breed mm. usually do. Or okay. than people, those dogs usually do. Just because of Beric's convictions and how strong he is in how he lives his life, I don't think it was a full whip bond at all. Um, that's just in my personal view of his character. Yeah. Uh, he could be deluding himself about aspects of it, sure, but I don't think it was a full, like, they passed information to each other. Mm. I think he fully refused to use the wit, except his unconscious ability to soothe animals around him. Mm. See, I don't know. I guess I see Burek as a little bit more flawed in that he would never allow Fitz, or even his own son later, 
to use the whip because it's below them, but he sees himself so lowly that what is it? Like I can see that too, yeah. Yeah. It's not as bad if he does it because he's not as good of a person, which is a bunch of baloney, but <laughs> yeah. I could see that too, yeah. So Fitz is talking to Hans about Ketchikin now, and through this conversation realizes that she probably followed Verity on foot after or down to the town. So he's just picturing in his head her lost on the road in the snowbank, freezing or whatever, and he or would dead from an dead. assassin. And he's gonna take uh, a donkey down. Because the roads are very icy and can't have well, horses. it is a mule, which is different a than mule. a donkey. That's, okay, yeah. That's I true. only know because my grandpa had donkeys and horse. Er, it is, A donkey, yeah. a mule, and a horse, so. It is different, <laughs> yes. Um, so he's going to take this mule down because the, the path is too icy for horses. So uh, he takes Sidekick, the mule. A well-named but sure-footed mule. I do just want to point out, and I don't know why I haven't noticed it up until this point, but the animals all seem to follow the naming convention of royals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, they, they probably purposefully kind of do that. I'm sure some of the townsfolk do that as well. Yeah, but it's just such a weird idea. I mean, I guess it's it's like naming your dog a human name. Like... Come here, James. Like, what a weird... I don't know. Because that's basically what, you know, the royal names are. Just regular names in this world. So, it's strange to name all these animals, like, common people names to me. Not everyone has a dog named Dunder Mifflin. Okay, well, (laughs) not everyone can be as cool as me, I know. (laughs) It just, you know, I don't know. I guess I just... I didn't know... I don't know why Sidekick is the first time it popped out to me, but... You know, the more I thought about it, I'm like, huh, they really do just name the dogs like they're royalty. Or Slink, the weasel, mm-hmm. slinking around. I don't know. Smithy. They Smithy, yeah. I mean, he, the bon- I know. he specifically thought of those. Yeah, so. It's so weird. I don't know. They gotta have meaning. That's true. Just funny, though, to think that, like, there could be a dog named Regal. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more like a rat. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> there already is a rat named Treacle. <laughs> so, uh, Night Eyes chimes in again, like, can I come too? Uh, or are you coming now? And Fitz is like, no, I don't know, later. It's not safe. So he questions the guards at the gate. And uh, they're like, no, the queen didn't come through here. And he's like... Did a woman come through here with a cloak embroidered in purple and white and a fur cloak, you know, or like pants that were purple? <laughs> Anything? Like, oh, that. Now that you say that. <laughs> Sounds kind of familiar, huh? <laughs> um, in a coldly level voice, I berated them as dolts and morons. Unidentified folk passed unchallenged through our gates. They had looked on white fur and purple embroidery and never even guessed it might be the queen, and none had seen fit to accompany her, none chose to be her guard, even after yesterday. A fine place Buckkeep was these days, when our queen had not even a foot soldier at her heels when she went out walking in a snowstorm down to Buckkeep town. A kick sidekick and left them, settling blame among themselves. 
<laughs> this is so funny because I bet he's kind of actually mad. Oh, he's very angry. But this is kind of similar to whenever he came back from the Mountain Kingdom. He's assuming the role of their better and yeah, talking, telling them what they should be doing and reprimanding them the way someone who's in charge would without even thinking twice about it. He's like, yeah, why is nobody thinking about the fact that the queen is just wandering around with no guard? I was thinking of that, too. And I think it's a little bit different than the first time he came back, Mm. just because he is in a position to question because he has been the queen's attendant for Mm. a while. Interesting. Okay. I mean, it's. It's a fine line because when he came back from the mountains, it was taking command from Beric and right. asking the guards to report to him, basically. Mm. And then kind of said, like, okay, carry on, don't reprimand your man, and then <laughs> went on his way. This one is like, you let the queen walk unpassed. You guys are idiots. <laughs> and then, like, left. He didn't, like, give them yeah. a directive or, like, pat I him guess on the back. That's or... fair. He's not exactly talking directly to them about his questions of, like, right. man, how bad is Buckkeep that the queen can't even get a soldier? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you're right. It's a little different. Yeah, I think he learned a little bit, but it's still towing that fine line of mm-hmm. he His uh, natural uh, ability and right. I I read this part and I'm like, don't draw attention to yourself, Fitz. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Same. <laughs> he says the uh, the going was miserable, and uh, the steep, uneven trail to town was glazed with ice, and. This is where the images of the queen crumpled in the snow. The blowing flakes covering her over kept trying to push into my mind. Nonsense, I told myself firmly. Nonsense. He was on the outskirts of Buckkeep Town before he overtook her. And she strode through the drifting snow with a fine indifference to it. Her mountain-bred flesh as immune to the cold as I was to salt, breeze, and damp. (laughs) She turned and, as she caught sight of me, smiled and waited. She was completely unaffected because it's yeah. just a normal day for her. Yeah, it's basically a blizzard and she's just like, la 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 la. He's like, what are you doing out here alone in this storm? And it says, she looked about her as if just noticing the falling snow and gusting wind, then turned back to me with a rueful grin. She was not the least bit chilled or uncomfortable. This is like what it's like for me to live in Wisconsin as someone who did not grow up here. Yeah. Everybody is completely comfortable with the cold and it gets below... Like, I don't know, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, and I am freezing. <laughs> <laughs> You've gotten better as the years have come on. I'm a little better, but <laughs> but that's what that's all I can think of when Fitz is like, it's so cold, and Ketrickin's like, wow, look at the beautiful landscape. <laughs> she looked more vital than I had seen her in days. Yesterday, she had been death astride a horse, and grief washing the bodies of her slain. But today, here in the snow... She was a merry girl, escaped from keep and station to go hiking through the snow. Do you think Verity left so early on purpose because he was embarrassed about what happened the day before and that she had to take charge? Yeah. I mean, I don't think his feelings have changed about the situation well, over right. one over a night. No. Um, I think... It's a little immature. <laughs> Well, yeah, but it's also a man dealing with his insecurities, just like everyone else does. He's just not dealing with them in a healthy manner. Right. He's just running away 
from right. the issue and avoiding somebody who sparked those feelings. So, yeah, I was just thinking because she seems so happy and girlish here. It's like, obviously, she'd want to see her husband after being so successful. And it's a little childish that he knew that and then <laughs> decided instead to get up early and <laughs> go to work. It sounds like pretty early, too, not just like crack a dawn early. So who knows? Uh, but Fitz and Ketrikin have a conversation of what she is doing out there alone, and Ketrikin just kind of replies, I'm going to look for my husband. Can't I do that? Why do I have to be with people? I just want to have a conversation with my husband, which I'm allowed to do because yeah. I'm married to him. Right. <laughs> do I need an appointment to see him? Right. She says at one point. <laughs> uh, and... Fitz is concerned here. I Again, with their conversations, I see both sides. Yes, she is totally entitled to that. Mm-hmm. But also, going alone in the middle of a storm right. is not the proper thing for a queen to do, or a queen-in-waiting to do. Uh, you could go down to see him, but just tell your page, hey, yeah. grab one of the guards from the gate, you know? Anybody, right. just to, like, walk you through. It seems proper. Right. I don't love that Fitz, in the end, keeps her from Verity. I think it would have been fine for her to go to him. I just, I wish she wouldn't have gone alone. She could have borrowed another horse or even asked. Although her logic, she says the reason she's alone is because she knows none of her ladies would have wanted to come. Mm -hmm. And they they would have out of necessity, but they wouldn't have enjoyed themselves. And her horse is hurt, so she couldn't ride the horse and so she walked yeah so she (laughs) and it's also not good weather for to ride animals right now so why not walk and i don't know it's just it's frustrating because i also understand that she's like well if i say i'm gonna go then it's gonna be a whole to do and a whole bunch of people are gonna follow and it's gonna take forever but at the same time it's much safer to do that and i don't know why she wouldn't be thinking even from the standpoint of it's a snowstorm, and if I slip and fall in a place where I don't know very much of the landscape, I could be lost for days and probably freeze to death. Maybe not. She has enough knowledge of the weather where I'm sure she could survive, but... Also, the, I don't think she was thinking of the weather as a hindrance. That's fair. <laughs> it's just... Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just because, like, it, it doesn't seem like a just sunny, snowy day. It's, oh no, it's it's like a storm. Yeah. So <laughs> you think she would see that and go, "Well, the visibility's low and I'm wearing a white coat, so maybe I should have at least one person know where I'm at." <laughs> I don't know. She asks Fitz what he's doing out there following her and questioning her, and he replies bluntly back that basically Regal's still out there, the one who, you know, tried to take the throne, who killed your brother, who arranged you to be alone and lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, that guy, he's still out there. What if somebody shoots you out here or gets close with a knife? Like, you have to have people around you, basically. Yeah. And Ketrickin's a little bit miffed by this because yeah. she's like, you know, I'm not that easy of, an, of a target. The weather is pretty bad, so... Nobody's going to be able to shoot me with an arrow. And also, I have a knife. To hit me with a knife, you'd have to get close enough for me to hit you back. 
So Fitz has a good comeback to that. Like, what if you did kill a man out here? Mm-hmm. Then Verity would have to once again chastise his whole guard. Yep. They would feel real bad about themselves for letting the queen go off again alone and get attacked again. Uh-huh. <laughs> also, you've now killed someone that is not forged. Yeah. It's from the six duchies. Spilled six duchy blood on our land. And what if you weren't better than that guy and you died? Yep. <laughs> <What's>... <laughs> then when I'm the one dragging your body back, now what? <laughs> her pace slowed, but her chin was still up as she asked, What consequence for me if I sit day after day in the keep growing soft and blind as a grub? Fit chivalry, I am not a game piece to sit my space on the board until some player sets me in motion. I am... There's a wolf watching us. Where? She pointed, but he had vanished like a swirl of snow, leaving only a ghostly laughter in my mind. <laughs> um, also, I want to notice here, uh, point out here, the next sentence. A moment later, a trick of the wind brought his scent to sidestep. When before, the mule's name was Sidekick. Ooh, nice catch. I don't know if that's just publisher error or printing error, or if that continues, but is a change in literally like four pages, so... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Night Eyes is still stalking them. And uh, Fitz tries to play it off like, oh, it's probably just a town dog. Mangy at that. <laughs> <laughs> Which Night Eyes, of course, hears. And he's nothing to fear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Night Eyes, you think not? I'm hungry enough to eat that mule. Go back and wait. I shall come soon. The trash heap is nowhere near here. Besides, it's full of seagulls and stinks of their droppings and other things. The meal would be fresh and sweet. Go back, I tell you. I'll bring you meat later. Fitz chivalry? This from Ketcherkin, warily. I snapped my eyes back to her face. I beg pardon, my lady. My mind watered. Then that anger in your face is not for me? No. Another has crossed my will this day. For you, I have concern, not anger. Will not you mount sidekick and let me take you back to the keep? So, back to sidekick. Back to sidekick. So I think it must be just a printed error. Interesting. Yeah. She wants to see Verity here, and Fitz says it will not please him to see you come so, like, alone, basically, uh-huh. unannounced. Which is not the right thing to say, no. obviously, because her immediate reaction is to sink into herself and start deflate a bit talking about her marriage troubles have you never wished to pass your time in someone's presence fits whether they welcomed you or not cannot you understand my loneliness and in fitz's head i do from night eyes to be his queen in waiting to be sacrificed for buckkeep this i know i must do well but there's another part of me I am a woman to his man and wife to his husbanding. To that I am sworn as well, and am more willing than dutiful to it. But he seldom he comes seldom to me, and when he does, he speaks little and leaves soon. She turned back to me. Tears sparkled suddenly on her eyelashes. She dashed them away, and a note of anger crept into her voice. You spoke once of my duty, of doing what only a queen can do for Buckkeep. Well, I shall not get with child lying alone in my bed night after night. My queen, my lady, please, I begged her. Heat rose in my face. She was merciless. Last night, I did not wait. I went to his door, but the guard claimed he was not there, that he had gone to his tower. She looked aside from me. 
Even that work is preferable to how he must labor in my bed. Not even that bitterness could cover the hurt in her words. Woof. Yeah. First of all, super awkward. Yep. Um, but second of all, really sad for Ketrikin because she seems to really like Verity and... Or at least wants him to like her. Right. He's cute enough for her to be attracted in many ways. And he isn't really reciprocating, which I think is hard because there, number one, there's a lot on his mind right now. And number <laughs> two, she is a teenager and he's in his 30s. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that also is hard for him because he probably likes women his own age. Yeah. This is a political marriage. He didn't choose to marry a teen. And so I'm sure it's a little bit harder for him, you know, in that way, too. But also, I don't know, he probably just feels bad that he's not as into her as she is to him and then feels like he's letting her down. It's all getting in his head, I'm sure. And also, he's addicted to the skill. Also that. And we know that kills all cravings anyone else might, that you might have ever. You don't feel hungry, thirsty. You don't want anything besides to continue to skill out. Yeah, that's a good point. And we hear that Fitz thinks here, I reeled with the things I did not want to know. The cold of Ketrikin alone in her bed, Verity drawn to skill at night. I did not know what was worse. Fitz is finding out here that even though it's winter and he doesn't need to be, Mm -hmm. he's still going at night to his tower to skill out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is super dangerous because the more he skills, the weaker he will become physically. Right. So it's just that that addiction plus, I mean, that pulls him away and Ketrikin sees that and is like, am, not, am I not good enough? Right. Like, She's what blaming kind of herself. person? Yeah. Which isn't the case, which shouldn't be the case, but that's a logical response to something like that. Right, because she's never used the skill. She doesn't know what it's like to fight the urges. Yeah. And Verity has probably long past blown through his ability to stay away just from necessity. Right. From needing to skill night and day to keep raiders away. But here we see Night Eyes take Ketrick inside. Mm-hmm. Um, he says this makes sense she is the one who must bear if the pack is to increase and you know Fitz is like okay go home <laughs> I don't need you in my head right now this is weird and Night Eyes says we should all go to be with him who leads you fear foolishly for this ooh I don't like that but it's female dog she hunts well with a keen tooth and her kills are clean. I watched her yesterday. She's worthy of he who leads. Now I do want to point out, he specifically says she is worthy of he who leads. And we know later, Night Eyes is super into the idea that Ketrikin and Fitz get together. Yeah. But also, right now he's talking of Verity. Right, I know that. I'm just yeah. saying... It's interesting that he thinks Ketrikin is someone who should be the with the pack leader mm-hmm. and then later recognizes Fitz as that pack leader by saying, you should be with Ketrikin. Yeah. And it's just a little subtle thing. But nice. even Night Eyes thinks he should be king. <laughs> I sensed the spark of anger that had spirited her 
was now damped in pain. It bled her resolve from her. I spoke quietly through the wind. Please, lady, let me take you to Buckkeep. She did not reply, but pulled her hood up around her face and tightened it to hide most of her face. Then she walked to the mule and mounted and suffered me to lead the beast back to Buckkeep. It seemed a longer, colder walk in her subdued silence. I was not proud of the change I had wrought in her. And to take his mind off that, he tries to focus on Night Eyes for a bit, quests out, finds him, has a little conversation, um, because Night Eyes is asking him, you think I'm ready to hunt because you can't see me or whatever? And mm -hmm. Fitz is like, no, not until you're ready to obey first. And Night Eyes is pained by that and withdraws a bit. Um, so in their talk, Night Eyes offers a peace offering by offering to show Fitz how he gets in and out of the keep without passing through the gate and being seen. Um, and Fitz seems to kind of accept this as a sort of apology, but can't go with him right now to see how he does it. But he does say that he would like to at some point. Yes, uh, again, promised later when he comes with meat. They go through the gate, the guards challenged Fitz <laughs> abashedly because they had stopped him on the way out uh -huh. uh, he identified himself formally and the sergeant had the wit not to insist that I identify the lady with me so they go and they uh, they dismount climbs down and uh, Fitz is helping Ketchikin off the mule he offers her his hand mm -hmm. as he was trained to do yes and he turns and sees Molly she carried two buckets of fresh water drawn from the well. She stood still, looking at me, poised like a deer before flight. Her eyes were deep, her face very still. When she turned aside, there was a stiffness to her carriage. She did not glance at us again as she crossed the courtyard and went toward the kitchen entrance. I felt a cold foreboding inside me. Ketchikin says, thank you, Fitz Chivalry, but she also did not look at Fitz and then just walks in. Right. I feel kind of bad for Molly in this because she doesn't know that Fitz had to go looking for Ketrikin because she is wandering alone. For all she knows, he just took Ketrikin on a walk and they had a romantic time in the snow, which also it's the middle of a snowstorm, Molly, come on. But they're young and in love and jealousy runs rampant. And Ketrikin is her age, right? They're the same age. A little bit older. Maybe like a year older or something. So we know that she's Fitz's type. <laughs> I mean, also she is married, but... <laughs> um, obviously... I can't remember the conversation. I think it's in the next chapter. Does Molly recognize this is Queen Ketrikin? I don't know. I don't remember. I didn't read that far ahead. I don't remember either. I'll have to keep watch for that because I don't remember. I don't think she does in my mind, but... Because then it's like, oh, you just took some, like, noble woman out or whatever. Yeah. But I could be wrong, and I could... Right. I could be wrong, and she could just be like, that's not cool. Like, no matter <laughs> well, who I mean, it is. Well, I mean, either way, <laughs> from her point of view, Fitz could have, like I said, just right. come back from a romantic ride where he... There's only one horse. He's elegantly helping this lady off. And she's probably very acutely aware of the fact that she is a servant, and he's royalty. Yeah. Even if he's not yeah. a recognized 
in line for the throne royalty. He is still a royal bastard and therefore very high up. And she is not. And I'm sure she has some self-consciousness about that. Yeah. Well, Fitz stables sidekick slash sidestep. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes to Birik. Well, he goes to the funeral pyre. He's not there for Birik because he knows that Birik doesn't want anything. And he would just get mad if he said anything to him. He glanced at me as I came up, but would not look at me or speak to me. His eyes were black hollows, full of dumb pain. It would turn to anger if I dared speak to him, but I had not come for him. I took my knife from my belt and cut from my head a finger's length lock of hair. I added it to the pyre and watched as it burned. Vixen. She was there the first time Regal ever looked at me. She lay beside me and snarled up at him. After a moment, Birik nodded to my words. He too had been there. I turned and slowly walked away, just paying his respects. Right. Which I think Burek respected. Yeah. Because, I mean, this has been a dog that Fitz grew up with, even if there was no bond there. Um, But this scene specifically made me really start thinking that maybe it was a bond. Um, In the next paragraph, Fitz says, Vixen had lived a long life for a hound, but still too short for Burek's heart. To bond to any animal was a promise to promise oneself that future pain. And I don't know. It just feels like he's so upset. I mean, I get that he would be upset because Vixen was in. If you think that she was one way bonded, they were very close. She's been around for a really long time. Sure, you can mourn that animal, but he's getting drunk during the day. He's lighting a funeral pyre, which is usually for like important people he's cutting his hair for a dog which don't get me wrong i get it dogs are part of the family and maybe because i'm not witted i'm missing the depth that is needed to light a funeral pyre for an animal um but i don't know it just seems a little too too much for just a friend you know what i mean the yeah i can understand that the one other thing that's kind of holding me back from from the bond thing is Fitz's reflection on what Hans was feeling. Right. Uh because he's reflecting on like Hans has a blindness to this, but me with the wit, I have an extra connection to all life around me. So it's possible with that extra wit sense you're you're feeling much more in tune with them all of their life rather than just being a companion, just being a part of your family. You're just feeling that. And when they're not there anymore, it hurts. Even if there's not a bond. Yeah. It hurts more. I suppose. I don't know. It's hard to tell again without knowing more about the bonds themselves. If there can be, you know, a one way or if it has to be mutual or what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Fitz goes to the kitchen. He gets scraps of bones, old bones, um, with a little bit of meat left on them and brings them out to the cabin. But, uh, in the, the reflections that you were speaking on, he promises to himself, like, 
it just reaffirmed it like i shouldn't mm-hmm. bond to anyone it just brings this much pain like because i know that pain mm-hmm. um and he goes out to the cabin to feed night eyes to feed cub <laughs> and gets pounced on got you got you got you <laughs> glorious exuberance <laughs> Halfway to my feet, and he hit me again, full in my chest. I flung up a forearm to shield my throat and face, and he seized it in his jaws. He growled deeply as he mock-worried it. I lost my balance under his attack and went down in the snow. This time, I kept a grip on him, hugging him to me, and we rolled over and over and over. He nipped me in a dozen places, some painful, and all the time, Fun, fun, fun! Got you, got you, and got you again! Here, you're dead here! I broke your forepaw! Here, your blood runs out! Got you, got you, got you. Enough, enough. And finally, enough, I roared. And he let go of me and leaped away. And then he zoomies. Flood <laughs> <laughs> over the snow, bounding ridiculously to fling himself in a circle and come racing back at me. <laughs> but this time he's not aiming for pits. He's aiming for the bag of bones. Yep. And he grabs it. But Fitz is like, I can't let him win that easily. So he leaps after and and tackles (laughs) Night Eyes, seizing the bag of bones, and it degenerated into a tugging match, at which he cheated by letting go suddenly, nipping me on the forearm hard enough to numb my hand, then grabbing the bag again. I gave chase again. Got you, a tug on the tail. Got you, I need his shoulders, pushing him off balance. Got the bones, and for an instance I had them and was running. He hit me full square in the back, all four paws, and drove me face down in the snow, seized the trove, and was off again. (laughs) I do not know how long we played. This is kind of cute. It is kind of cute. Uh, I just love the image of little night eyes doing zoomies in the yard. and (laughs) (laughs) Knocking Fitz over. (laughs) Fitz dressed up like uh, the little brother from Christmas Story. Yes. (laughs) Can't even put his arms down and he's... Huge coat, big snow pants, waddling around after this dog and chasing him. Uh-huh. Playing tug-of-war. But they seem to be having a lot of fun. And... However... <laughs> yeah. Comes to an end. As all good things must. Cub settles down, grabs a bone, and starts gnawing on it. And I reached for the sack and tugged at a bone. A good meaty one. A thick marrow bone and drew it forth, and abruptly was man again. Like awaking from a dream, like the popping of a soap bubble, and Cub's ears twitched, and he turned to me as if I had spoken. But I had not. I had only separated myself from his. And he realizes that he's cold and has welts on his hands from, you know, roughhousing with a wolf. Right, and his... And he felt groggy as if he was just coming. Yeah. Yeah. Felt groggy as if he was coming out of a drug sleep. What's wrong? Real concerned. Why did you go away? I can't do this. I can't be like this with you. This is wrong. Puzzlement. Wrong? If you can do it, how can it be wrong? I'm a man, not a wolf. Sometimes, he agreed. But you don't have to be all the time. Yes, I must. I don't want to be bonded with you like this. We cannot have this closeness. I have to set you free to live the life you were meant to live. I must live the life I was meant for. A derisive snort, a sneer of fangs. This is it, brother. We are as we are. And this whole conversation, 
is all in their head. Yeah. They're just talking their head. I know Fitz made a promise to himself to speak out loud more and Yeah. It's not happening. Well, it would be hard after this moment. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that he was sharing somehow sharing some sort of consciousness with Night Eyes, but yet still in his own body. We know whenever people bond to their wit partner, they gain the senses of the animal that they've bonded to in some ways, like Fitz gets better eyesight, better smell, um, which we've kind of already seen with him being able to uh, smell Molly's scent on him. Um, It's very dog-like. But in this, it's different because he wasn't even aware he was a man for a period. And I don't think we've seen an in-between of partially sharing a little bit of ability and fully becoming wolf where you're no longer even right. in your body. Yeah. And the, I, this might be one of the only examples we get where he's still using his body and he's still, you know, I don't know, living through his body, but yet somehow also with night eyes, which seems awfully dangerous because he didn't even realize he was cold. So it feels like it would kill him eventually. Yeah. And this is, I think, personally, besides like fully inhabiting the body of the witted ones, where these stories of how mm-hmm. bad the wit can be come from, people move their mind and their senses, but not their whole soul, into mm-hmm. their bonded partner. So they're seeing through the perspective of that animal and fully inhabiting that mind space of, you know, just getting lost in the moment for a wolf. Yeah. playing and not worrying about anything else because that's what wolves are all about from yeah. night eyes yeah i definitely think this does show the danger the real danger of being too young and too naive and these and not any training at all yeah and i think this is why when we meet old-blooded people they're so strict yeah and looking so far down on this because there needs to be a separation of self so that you don't. And I'm sure in olden times, there were lots of people who were vulnerable, who were lonely, who didn't have people who really got them. And it would be all the more easy to slip into somebody else or something else and then slowly just become the animal. And I don't know. I just it's kind of sad to to think about the people who probably have done this in the history of this world right yeah without knowing what they were doing without realizing there was nothing to bring them back and say oh no no no, i'm i'm a person i should not be doing this because they didn't have Burek telling them it was wrong they just it was something that happened naturally so in this one time Burek's warnings are good i did not drop my guard i did not give him leave but he swept through my mind like a wind sweeps through an unshuttered window and fills a room. The night and the snow meet in our jaws. Listen, snuff. The world is alive tonight, and so are we. We can hunt until dawn. We are alive, and the night and the forest are ours. Our eyes are keen, our jaws are strong, and we can run down a buck and feast before morning. Come, come back to what you were born to be. A moment later, I came to myself. I was on my feet, standing, and I was trembling from head to foot. I lifted my hands and looked at them, and suddenly my own flesh seemed foreign and confining, as unnatural as the clothes I wore. 
I could go. I could go now, tonight, and travel far to find our own kind, and no one would ever be able to follow us, let alone find us. He offered me a moonlit world of blacks and whites, of food and rest, so simple, so complete. Our eyes were locked, and his were lambent green and beckoning me. Come, come with me. What have the likes of us to do with men and all their petty plotting? There's not one mouthful of me to be had in all of their wrangling, no clean joys in their scheming, and never a simple pleasure taken unthinkingly. Why do you choose it? Come, come away. And this is Night Eye's offer to Fitz to be a wolf. Just like Fitz wants Night Eyes to fit perfectly into the world of men. Yeah. And they have yet to find their balance. Like you said, there, there's a, a terrible blending of the two right now. And they need that separation. They need to find that compromise. They need to have their own lives, mm-hmm. but come together in a partnership, not fully occupy each other's spaces yeah in the worlds that they they want to be in i blinked snowflakes clung to my eyelashes and i was standing in the dark chilled and shaking a short distance from me a wolf stood up and shook himself all over tail out flat ears up he came to me and rubbed his head along my leg and with his nose gave my cold hand a flip i went down on one knee and hugged him felt the warmth of his ruff against my hands, the solidity of his muscle and bone. He smelled good, clean, and wild. We are what we are, brother. Eat well, I told him. I rubbed his ears briefly and then stood. As he picked up the sack of bones to drag them into the den he'd scuffed out under the cottage, I turned away. The lights of Buckkeep were almost blinding, but I went toward them anyway. I could not have said why just then, but I did it. Um, because Burek would literally kill you? <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just want to point out that um, I now read Night Eye's voice in Hulk Hogan's voice. Oh yeah, brother. <laughs> he just says brother so much and we are, this is we it, are. brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. That's all I could think while I was reading this. Even though it's a serious that's that's all I was thinking is the gruff and tough Oh yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> brother. I just love the way he says brother. I can't do it. I don't have a gravelly voice. <laughs> We but. are as we are, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me it doesn't fit, though. <laughs> Wolves are kind of gravelly. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, if you wanted to peek inside my brain. Um, Fitz makes a choice here, though. Yeah. He, uh, he chooses the bright lights of the big city. You know? And uh, <laughs> instead of the rural life. Uh-huh. Do you think that's because... I know you joked about Birik, but do you think it's mainly because of Birik? Or I'm personally thinking it's because of all the connections of Chade, of Patience, of Birik, of Ketrikin, of Verity. All the people that he has made promises and oaths to. Of Shrewd, mm. even. I don't know. I think 
in my mind, it's not it's not so much about the people he's leaving behind. Although I'm sure he would be sad to leave them behind. I don't think he's thinking about that in this moment. I think he still can't fully accept who he is. And were he more secure in this feeling, I think he would have went. I I know that we all know that he thinks wit is not that bad. That he just yeah. doesn't. He thinks it's a natural thing. He understands that to some extent there are dangers and that the pain of losing a wit partner is the most severe thing you could go through. So that's more of a self-preservation thing than it is a this might actually be a dangerous thing to do as a young child. Right. But I I'm thinking it's more of a he can't accept that maybe this is who he is. Which seems to be Nida's point throughout this is just that you act like you know who you are and what being wild is, and yet you can't even accept who you are. And I don't know, I just think that's where some of his trouble is, which is good. It saves him in this. I think had he gone along, he would have died a slow, painful death and eventually fully inhabited Nida's brain with him probably wouldn't be good but i don't know do you think he would have do you think nidez would have accepted him i think they were sharing a mind but he wasn't fully in nidez's body or anything like his soul wasn't transferring over if fitz took this path and eventually died from uh from exposure Mm -hmm. in the winter like he probably would have do you think Night Eyes would have accepted Fitz's soul into his body. At this point, yes. I don't think he would have understood Hmm. what it fully meant. Maybe not. I think then later he would be upset about it. We know that there's another person, I think she's a deer, that transferred her consciousness into her wit partner's consciousness, and they both regret it deeply. Yeah. And I think that's what this would have turned into. We know after Night Eyes shares his body with Fitz later, he tells Fitz, like, I need to have my own body. Please leave. Yeah. And I think if that wasn't an option, Night Eyes would keep him around out of sense of pack. But I don't know. I don't think it would have been good. Yeah. But because they're so young at this point, I think it would have been, of course, brother. (laughs) Of course, brother. (laughs) Come on in. And then realization of, uh uh-oh. Fitz is deeply conflicted this chapter. Mm-hmm. He is riding in the high of him and Molly finally confessing to each other what yeah. they feel, but also ends it with uh, Molly looking cold and walking away from him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Trials and tribulations of, of young love. Of young love. But also proud and anxious of, for both of his rulers, his mm-hmm. king and queen. Uh, and kind of embarrassed about what Ketrickin is sharing. <laughs> yeah, definitely didn't want to know about the bedroom life. But also, he makes a decision at the end here where he could be happy with it, but at the moment it just feels painful to him. Right. And at the same time, just like what you said at the end, Beric is out there and he's probably in the back of Fitz's head right now being like, this is, I'm going to lose another, lose his friendship once again. Like, this yeah. is. 
and maybe even thinking about how painful it'll be to lose night eyes. Yeah. I mean, that's been on his mind in this chapter. He's got a visual, actual reminder of what the death of a loved one can do. Mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't say he ends happy. But I think this was it's a good ending to this idea that he can become Night Eyes or giving Night Eyes a finality of I'm not going to be one with you. While still leaving the door open for a bond to be created. Yeah. But just drawing that line of I can't I can't be a beast man. I have to be. Oh, I think they're bonded now. Oh, for like, sure. Fully. <laughs> you but, kind of said that. Little, leave a little space for a bond to be created. No, I think <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I just think Fitz hasn't acknowledged it yet, so I guess it's leaving room for Fitz to be able to acknowledge I, it later. I think he did with the uh, uh-huh. "We are as we are, brother" line mm-hmm. at the end. He he repeated what Night Eyes, Night Eyes told him, and just said, "Yeah, we are what we are." And I'm a man, you're a wolf, but we're brothers. We're a pack. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he, he, in his own way, is acknowledging that. Yeah. I just really like this whole conversation between him and Fitz and uh, Night Eyes. Especially Night Eyes has a line where he says, Fitz says, you know, you need, I need to leave you so that you can be who you're meant to be. And Night Eyes rebukes him by saying you know how do you know what i'm supposed to be how do you know not know that this is my destiny my destiny has always been to be one with you and you can't force me into the destiny you want for me right and i really liked that part of the conversation just because you know it really puts into perspective of sure you may want a better destiny for some people but it's not really your choice to make that call for other people and even if it's with the best intentions of like, hey, if one of us dies, that's going to be really hard. And I don't think that's something either of us should have to go through. It's like, OK, but that's not your call alone to make. Yeah. And that's something that that brings up over and over again throughout the series. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us in this episode. Yeah. If you have any comments or questions for us at all, please reach out. Is happy at gmail dot com. Or you know you can message us directly at any of our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Reddit accounts. We're all is Fitz happy. See you next week. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the stuff that you guys talked to us about. Um, and this time we're going to start with an email we got from Krista. Crystal let us know that they agree with us with how Fitz was feeling um, towards Ketrickin. By the way, this is for chapter eight of Royal Assassin. Yes, last episode. Um, Uh, In the courtyard, right? When Fitz comes out and sees Ketrickin on the wagon giving the speech. Yes. And so they talk about how Fitz may be feeling dismayed. Uh, because he is worried about Verity and his hurt pride. And also, he possibly isn't thinking about 
Ketrickin as a strong woman, just in a general sense, but maybe more as a noble lady who is looking strong, which isn't the norm, it seems, in this right. castle. Um, which would be a little strange, I guess, because I think there was a little bit of confusion on my part when I read it that he's so aghast at her, you know, <laughs> being strong when he trained under Hod. So right, yeah. It's yeah, it's just such a strange uh, reaction, but I do like the way that Krista put it that um, it's probably just because he sees her in the vein of being a, a noble lady. Right, and I think I mentioned in that episode like my thoughts on it that it's his job to make her accepted into the court and this is kind of going against the traditional noble yeah. woman view so I also like the the additional like he just came off of a conversation a couple conversations with Verity where he is <laughs> feeling very down about himself about his abilities and he's like oh no Ketrickin's up here <laughs> doing what Verity should uh-huh they put it into good terms of fleshing out the context of why Fitz might be feeling this way rather than just um, assuming it's because he's a naive little boy. Uh, right. right. Uh, but they also they also brought up that Fitz probably couldn't tell Molly in his mind about the poisoning because he literally just got done talking to Jade, who told him not to bring up Regal ever again right. because it's treasonous. So... There's probably a little bit of hesitancy there because, of course, it's Fitz and he thinks if you have to cut one thing out, just don't say any of it <laughs> instead of knowing where to, you know, <laughs> where to hide the truth. Probably share a bit more. That's yes. true. Yes. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's Fitz. So he struggles with talking to other people. <laughs> that don't share his mind. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That can't tell exactly what he's thinking. Mm -hmm. And our next comment or message was on Instagram from Ant the Peckish Chef. And they had a, uh, a couple points to make here. And the first one was about the tapestry in uh, Fitz's room, depicting wisdom and the elderlings. We discussed that a little bit in episode 30. And we were talking about how uh, wisdom, King Wisdom was depicted as elongated as well, mm -hmm. uh, along with like the supposed elderling, which I always thought was like artist depiction of just like that's the style plus it was next to a dragon kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, Ant here says that uh, they think that the, he was depicted like that. To resemble the elderlings and that the, the halo of lights behind this supposed elderling was the magic that we see later that Malta displays. So I think I think it's in the Rainwild Chronicles after like when they're in the villages and Malta is like talking about how they want to go after the the city or something like that when they're trying to find Kelsingra. And she makes herself more regal and imposing by hovering these orbs of light behind her or something like that. To yeah. Her. I don't remember the exact part. It could be in uh, Live Ship Traders, but I think it's Rainwild Chronicles when this happens. And that's like our only really like look into elderling magic as someone who does it. Um, right. But Anthopeka Chef is theorizing that this depiction of the elderling is that come to life in a tapestry right 
So just another little thing about that. I I don't I, I don't know too much about how I feel about that, mainly because I'm kind of stuck in my thing like this this depiction of the tapestry was not an actual elderling, but I think it's wings behind him because of the stone dragons that flew over the top of him, and it's just distorted because the stone dragons steal memories away, so the right, artist yeah. couldn't really fully depict exactly what he was seeing. Yeah. And that's just, like, the depiction of, like, oh, these people came and attacked the uh, Out-Islander raiders and saved us after King Wisdom went, so obviously the meeting looks something like this, but we don't really remember what those elderlings looked like, so... Right. Which is kind of funny, because um, what these people think elderlings are are all sorts of weird-looking. So really, yeah. anything they draw would be correct in the Stone Dragon's appearance, which right. is kind of a funny thought, that yeah. there could be one that looks just like <laughs> what is depicted on this uh, tapestry. But it does bring up an interesting thought of the King Wisdom side uh, that he could have been depicted to resemble Elderling or an Elderling right. as we know Elderlings, mm -hmm. how they're elongated and they're touched by dragons or whatever. Uh, so do you think that he is an Elderling? I don't think he's directly an Elderling. I don't no. think dragons were around when he was there <laughs> still, because I think that's a little bit further in the past. Right. I think that it's really possible that he could be pretty directly related to elderlings. I think that could be where skill derives from. We've kind of talked about this before yeah. in a different episode where um, the blood of elderling peoples mixing with regular people. Yeah. Um, and then when Out Islanders uh, and the Six Duchies blood mixes, that creates a a skill, a new kind of skill, right? Yeah, similar um, to Elderling magic, but not quite, because we yeah. don't know enough about Elderling <laughs> right. magic. It's a mystery, um, but I think it's possible that like he descends directly from Elderlings, like they're actually in history, um, probably not so far away because Elderlings lived forever, um, but there's no way to really tell. Yeah, I I don't like it as much because he's never depicted as anything other than just a six duchies king. Right. And this is the only thing that he's elongated in. And Well, to be fair to Robin Hobb, she did write 16 books. And <laughs> True. maybe she just kind of, there were other elderlings that were more important. She seems to not care as much about fleshing out the details of the past as she does, um the present and potentially what could happen in the future. Yeah. Specifically so. everything just surrounding Fitz, yes. which makes sense for the story. Mm -hmm. uh, that is an interesting thought as well. Um, and then the second part of Ant's message to us was about how theorizing how Chade lived longer than Shrewd. So Ant proposes that they, they meaning Chade and Shrewd, the brothers, half-brothers, both kind of had a Realm of the Elderlings version of Alzheimer's, or I guess some sort of dementia, and that's why their minds, and they exhibited signs of that both in the later portions of each of their lives. However, Chade was able to lengthen that time through skill manipulation and healing, 
But the way that they have it phrased in here makes it seem like they thought Shade was doing that to prevent his going sooner and Shrewd wasn't, and that's why Shrewd went first. But one, Shade's older in this first trilogy here. I think there's a mistake in the later one or whatever, but uh, uh-huh. Emma can talk on that a little <laughs> bit later. Um, but he's he's older here, and he doesn't know anything about the skill until they... Uh, until the Tawny Man trilogy, when they retrieve the skill scrolls that Regal sold to the Out Islanders and the Pale Woman, right. that is their collected knowledge and written down knowledge that Galen had from Solicity, the previous skill mistress. Right. And they didn't have any of that. They didn't have access to that. And Shade explicitly was not trained, and that's part of his character that he's super jealous mm-hmm. of Fitz's knowledge of the skill. Right. And he, it's even contentious later between the two of them that Fitz might be hiding things from Chade. Right. Yeah. And um, I don't think Chade learns how to heal himself until like midway through the Tawny Man series after they try to hit, heal Fitz. It's right. the first time he's ever in practice used the knowledge from the skill scroll. Mm-hmm. And after that, we see an uptick in his overall health and just the way he looks in general. Yeah. Um, Fitz notes that his face looks less pocked. like a week later um so it's pretty obvious that he's been skill healing and And, yeah and he's uh he's not happy with Fitz during that portion either because he thinks Fitz has been holding back like all of those things like right yeah her quality of life could have been improved or whatever Mm -hmm. so yeah I I I don't think that could be that could happen at all that Jade would help himself with the skill and not decline while Shrewd sat there so I think Shrewd declined naturally or accelerated through skill draining or burning out his skill on something because we know drug his use. skill. Yeah, or, or the drugs that he's been fed and has taken for his pain and stuff. Yeah. So that all could have accelerated it. And Chade just got lucky through genetics or his mind was just so active that he was able to stave it off until he got the skill. Right. Yeah. And... You know, it's just, well, something we'll probably never know. And it is hard to figure out why. And I couldn't figure out why I was just so accepting of this narrative of just obviously the reason why later his mind goes is because it runs in the family. But Shade doesn't get it, even though he's older, because question mark, question mark. And my brain was just like, sure, yep, makes sense. Um, (laughs) And I think it's partially because... Um, apparently in the later series, uh, the final trilogy, Chade is referred to as the younger brother of Shrewd, which is just a little book error, um, which I found thanks to Fizonet on Reddit. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce that username. Um, but Reddit did have, does have a thread about Robin Hobb if you don't follow them. Which, it's really fun. You get to see creators and artists and then also have fun, thought-provoking discussions. Anyway, um, a thread in this subreddit was about errors in the book. And it was just a fun read anyway. But um, I saw that somebody pointed out that there was an age discrepancy between whether or not Shrewd is the older or younger brother. And I thought that's really interesting and maybe why... In the later books, it's like, oh, yeah, see, obviously he just now got dementia because he's younger and he had the healing the whole time, whereas before he's described as the older brother. 
Yep, definitely. Um, and that's, I think that wraps up everything there. Yeah, that's so what you guys gave us. My personal thoughts on that last matter is that Shrewd got it through accelerated means of misuse of his brain and his skill and uh, mm-hmm. draining of his power from Serene and um, I forget the other one's name. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyways, and Chade was able to stave it off by keeping his mind super active until he was able to heal himself after Shrewd has right. passed away. Because I think if Chade knew how, he would have saved or helped Shrewd. Right. So. I think there's enough love there to um, help reach out a lending hand. But also I do want to point out that um, it is kind of very likely, to support your point, Luke, <laughs> it is a little likely that Shrewd didn't have as keen of a mind. We know he's super smart and he also likes to play the game of chess when it comes to people. But I think he probably in his old age, especially when chivalry was around, got used to relying on others, yes, relying yeah. on other people. He has shrew or chade in the wall to tell him everything that's going on and counsel with him. And he had chivalry to counsel with. So I'm sure he wasn't really keeping up yeah. on his brain exercises. <laughs> you know, he was just kind of enjoying old age until you know, everything changed till the fire nation attacked exactly yes no. so I, I don't know i think it is that it is possible that um he just kind of let himself go in some ways which i mean obviously lose losing your memory or having some form of dementia is not anyone's fault it's more genetics than anything but um there he probably didn't have any way to know how to help himself not fall into that right right Thanks so much for reaching out and sending us those comments. Yeah, we look forward to what you send next week. (laughs) 